Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Kraus Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your co-host, Kurt. So today's episode, we're doing an episode on dogs. You know, we've gotten requests. Actually, we just did a, a social media thing on Instagram where we asked people what kind of episodes they want to hear. Yeah. And we the, got some great feedback, by the way. So thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things uh, somebody said is, you know, hey, we want to hear about dogs and what purpose they play in survival your experience with dogs so yeah we're doing a dog episode today so if you're a hater of dogs um <laughs> you unfollow us and unsubscribe yeah. but yeah we're big dog people so we like dogs and wherever i know uh, for kurt as well wherever we've been we've had dogs and you know not only they're been man's best friends but they're you know good companions that could be implemented into survival situations and also for home defense absolutely and you know police and mill applications which is obviously our technical experience with dogs uh, but they're just all around great companions for different applications there's a movie with will smith not independence day oh great what's the movie where he don't ask me this because i don't know what i probably don't know what movie is. yeah well, will smith is a he's a great actor and there's a there's a movie where it's kind of like after the apocalypse or a, not apocalypse but after <laughs> The apocalypse. <laughs> apocalypse. After this big fallout, um, he's left with his dog, his okay. German shepherd. Yeah. Okay. And so him and his German shepherd go around the city and trying to survive. It's pretty cool. And there's another one, John Wick, right? John Wick started because somebody killed his dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's this whole, I mean, there's a whole bunch of dog stories and dog stuff popping up in, <laughs> in, in modern pop culture because it's yeah. cool not to have a dog. Yeah. Well, the, I think the cool thing is is uh you know i mean we experienced this in colorado for the most part most places are pretty f friendly when it comes to having oh. your animals come in i'm not trying to touch on a hot plate. oh Mike wants to talk about this oh so before we go this episode let me tell a story oh story time so we were in durango and we were doing kind of like an informal business meet we we're just linking up having a couple beers talking business and taking notes and stuff and we we're in downtown durango and there's this place called what's it called the balcony i think so yeah so there's this restaurant slash bar called the balcony and we went in there and went straight to the bar to fight take a seat there there was two open seats and we sat down and the guy uh looks across the bar and it, it's crowded it's like noon on a it was a saturday yeah it was saturday. yeah saturday so it was pretty crowded and i had pearl with me you know pearl if you don't, guys don't know who pearl is pearl is my service dog and she's a physical disability you know, registered, trained dog. She had her vest on that says service dog on every single uh, angle of her vest. And so it's no question. And obviously she's trained, so she's not hyper. She's not being a distraction. She's just being being pretty good. And so we get to the bar and then um, the guy who works there, he's apparently a manager. He looks over the bar and he's like, hey, you can't have that dog in here. And I said, well, this is a, it's a service dog. So she's actually technically allowed in here because there's only a couple places, one of them being an operating room, which which is obviously a sterile environment, is one of the uh, one of a couple places that you can't have a service dog. Period. So, I told him. I said, "Hey, she's a service dog." He said, "I don't care what she is. You need to you need to leave." And you know, me and Kurt obviously looked at each other and like, um, "So, what are you saying?" And he just walked off. He just kind of was being rude about it and walked off to the other side of the bar and wouldn't even come near us. Right? Remember that? He was oh, just yeah. being weird. He's kind of being a. I don't know. He's being a puss. Yeah, he's being weird. <laughs> so we get to the point where we're looking at trying to get a drink or try to get a seat and thinking that maybe he just blew it off. 
and nobody's coming to service at all. We're just standing there. People are just looking at us and it's almost embarrassing. I mean, it was embarrassing and people were like, dude, that's, that's so jacked up. And, and some, some lady and a uh, guy next to us were like, Hey, the reason that I don't want dogs in here is because some lady tripped over dog bowl and then sued the place. But that's irrelevant to us because yeah. it's a service dog. And so I said, Hey, it doesn't matter. She's a service dog. So legally she's a, a lot of being here. And I use the analogy about the wheelchair thing, because, you know, if a, if a person rolled up in a restaurant in a wheelchair, would you ask that person why they're, why they're in a wheelchair? Would you say, Hey, because you're in a wheelchair, you got to leave my establishment. You're not allowed to have that wheelchair in here. You wouldn't do that. Cause that's uh, discrimination, obviously. Yeah. And it's also discrimination for uh, somebody to do that establishment owner, whoever to do that and discriminate against somebody who has a service dog. <clears throat> and you know, the problem is emotional support dogs, which is a different category of a, not a service dog. It has, everybody has them nowadays, you know, cause you can get on, you go online, you do some tra training stuff, you register, you get paperwork. Well, service dogs are completely different. I mean, it's, it's meant for a physical disability. So anyways, long story short, he goes to the other in the bar and then Kurt goes over there and you ask him, you like, Hey, you, you going to service or what's up? Yeah. I said, well, I asked him specifically, I said, are you going to deny a service? And, uh, the guy looked back at me and he said, yeah, I'm going to deny you service. And I was like, all right, that's all we needed to hear. <laughs> so, you know, not only did they, they basically embarrass us, which is kind of jacked up, you know, we don't care. We're not, we don't have thin skin. I said to the guy before he left, I said, listen, you understand that this is a service dog. I said, what's your name? And he was hesitant to give me his name. I said, what's the owner's name? And we got the owner's name. I said, listen, I just want to educate you guys on the process because it's illegal for you to deny somebody's service in an establishment that has a service dog. Yep. Um, that, that would be like, again, discriminating against somebody who has, who's on, on crutches or in a wheelchair. Right. You just can't do that. So he basically kicked us out of the place and everybody was, there was a, a crowd of people who were, you know, basically saying, oh, that's messed up. And there's also a crowd of people who are like, why does that dude even need a service dog? You know? Yeah. Well, number one, it's not your fucking business why I have a service dog. How about that? <laughs> I don't ask why you're going to be in a wheelchair after I break your legs. Um, so you shouldn't ask me about my service dog. Well, anyways, we get to the point where we're going to leave and we just, we, we roll out of there and you know, I don't know, man. I, I know, just, I know for me, like, you know, just from a personal standpoint, you know, Mike and I are obviously considered veterans now, right? So we're, neither of us are on active duty. And, uh, but there's super important things to us like veterans causes. And, you know, there are a lot of guys out there with service dogs and it just, you know, it doesn't have to just be a veteran. So I think the, the big takeaway for us was like, we weren't trying to be cocks. We weren't, we were really polite. As a matter of fact, the guy was kind of douchey about the whole situation. And, uh, the biggest thing is like pushing issues for veterans because people need to know, like you can't discriminate against somebody because they have a service dog. Like that's bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the fact that that guy did that one, uh, he wasn't even willing to listen to, uh, us being able to educate him on what the law is. Um, which, you know, right off the bat, I'm like, this dude is a low level intelligence individual, which was irritating. Um, but the bottom line is we try to, uh, push the agenda, you know, because people need to know because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I think it's really important. Education is really important. And it's a shame that, businesses period especially service industry businesses wouldn't understand those laws yeah and this isn't the first time this has happened it's actually happened a couple of times but luckily a couple of times before 
I was able to communicate to the person and you know, I'm not being a dick because that's just asking for more trouble. Right. And you know, there's a lawsuit right now with, I think it's American airlines where they discriminate against a woman who had a service dog. And I've had good experiences with American airlines, but I, I'm assuming it's because <laughs> they just get this crap suit out of them. And you know, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm too lazy to sue anybody because I think it's uh, the whole stereotypes behind suing and all that yeah, stuff counterproductive but but i could see in this case why why i would do that or why people would do that because you'd... well they were just unwilling to be educated which was irritating like yeah. it would have been one thing if the guy was like hey like tell me what's up yeah but they were like basically get the fuck out of here yeah and the most annoying thing for me and kurt is we're locals yeah. you know what i mean like we're not we're not tdy we're not on training on the road which you wouldn't be that big of a deal because if i had it happen to me on the road and I'm just like, whatever, I'll never come back to this place anyway. Yeah. But in this situation, we live here. We live here. So I don't know. If you know a good lawyer, just hit me DM. Me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's more aggravating than anything else. But I, I, I want to, I don't even know what my legal rights are. So I, I want to venture into that and figure that out. All right. So moving on to dogs. So we'll start out with some uh, a war story and then uh, we'll go from there. You know, I've told this story several times and I've talked about the circumstances on this on social media and stuff, because just like veterans who have passed away, who are, they don't have to be friends of ours, me and Kurtz, but veterans period who are killed, you know, after the fact or during service, it's important to recognize them just as important uh, to recognize those animals that, uh, yeah, exactly. you know, save people's lives, whether it's law enforcement or military, you know, me and Kurt spending the time in a, a direct action force, uh, or element that's does raids does frequent uh, operations that are offensive in nature the task organization the equipment the the mission it's all different than in special forces or or you know being a, a green beret on a team so in that you have what you call enablers uh or some people call it service support it's more enabling where you have these elements of these different people who have different uh, capabilities one of them could be an interpreter, translator. Mm -hmm. One of them could be a female engagement team member. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the dogs, right? Yep. Uh, so we have dog handlers and special forces that are plucked from the teams. And then they do advanced training and learn how to handle the dogs. And then um, they deploy with us. And mm -hmm. so you have an operator, special operations guy in almost every branch of service in some capacity providing support to the main body or element to with do the dog. with a dog yeah. and some of the capabilities they do is, you know, they, they could be sent in during what's called a call out where, you know, you come out with your hands up and then we have to escalate that and search for those guys just in case they didn't come out, you know, and dealing with Muslim extremists, they like to blow themselves up yeah. and, and get their martyrdom on. And so the dogs have been good in that where they would go inside the house with a camera, maybe mounted on them or just go in there and snip out the house and then identify if there's anybody in there. Yep. And you know, we've, we've lost lots of dogs that way. Also IED bomb sniffing dogs, yep. the list goes on. I mean, use your imagination. If there's an application, a dog can, can fit that application. So when I was in Iraq in 2007, um, I was working for a task, a joint task force. And we had a dog named Vinny with this handler, Rick, who's retired now. And Rick had Vinny out and, you know, I'm not going to drag this story out because you guys could follow up on it on social media. And I've told it in several, several different venues, 
but basically, you know, we, we hit this big foreign fighter safe house. I think it had 12 bad guys up in it. And we went there, did containment, set up a perimeter, and then got into immediate gunfight. And as it continued, bad guys started coming out of the house, pouring out of the house and getting into fighting positions. And so we, we backed off and decided to go kinetic or, or drop bombs on the compound as well as the surrounding area that they were in the fighting positions. And so we get back to a position and then we go start moving forward to do, uh, you know, clearing the objective, making sure that if there's anybody on the objective who's alive, that they're dead and that it's secure. And so as we're doing this, we're walking across one of the gunships illuminates a white spot in front of me and a buddy of mine named Bobby. And me and Bobby are sitting there and, and uh, we get stopped by this illumination of infrared light, which, you know, you can't see with the naked eye and it illuminates this hot spot on the ground. And so me and Bobby are thinking immediately, like I wanted to shoot, but uh, and Bobby, I think Bobby stopped me or vice versa. I can't remember the, the details of it, but essentially we didn't shoot because we knew we'd give our way at our position. And if there's a guy hiding in the weeds, which there was, uh, he could easily kill us with whatever he had. And so we back off maybe 15, 20 meters. And Rick comes up with Vinny. And we start to send the dog forward. And I look at Vinny or uh, Rick and I'm like, hey, man, I don't think Vinny's saying anything because he was running in circles. My fear was we we're going to lose him on the objective. And it'd be diffi difficult to recall him. And I was just thinking that in my mind. But all of a sudden, Rick's like, look, look, and then identified that uh, Vinny had identified somebody in the reeds. And, you know, if you have night vision, you have lasers, reeds are the most difficult environment to operate in because it displaces the light. So we really couldn't PID or identify what was in the reeds. And then we saw Vinny, like he basically popped up almost like a fox and like landed on whatever it was that was in the field. And it was a guy, it was a terrorist. So as this happened, there was a gunshot and then there was an explosion. And, you know, the explosion wasn't extreme, but it was an explosion. And we heard Vinny cry. And I don't know if he, nobody knows if he got shot or if he got blown up and killed by the shrapnel. But basically what happened is he found a suicide bomber and a guy who had a, a vest on. Luckily, we didn't eat the vest because uh, it low ordered and we, we caught certain parts of it, but not the whole thing, which had been very bad because we were close, like danger close. And so Vinny was killed by the explosion or gunshot. And then we tried to recall Vinny, not knowing if he was alive. And as we proceeded forward, Rick basically grabbed me and Bobby and said, do not move forward. That's what, that's what he's for. So we backed up and we knew at that time that, that uh, Vinny more than likely was a casualty. So we unloaded ammo inside the hotspot and dispatched or got, killed the terrorist. And so when we backed off, we dropped 105s, cleared the objective. And we were able to take, we actually discovered Vinny's body on the reclear and then winded up exfilling them with uh, off the objective and, uh, you know, wind up killing like a dozen terrorists. And it was a, a good day, but we lost Vinny, which was a bad day. But, you know, what always stood out to me is, you know, Vinny was brought off. He, he actually rode behind me with an American flag draped over his body. And when he came off the helicopters at, at Joint Task Force, it was like uh, an American soldier had been killed. I mean, it was, he was paid that respect. Everybody saluted him as he came off. The Sergeant Major came out there. The commander came out there. But Rick was right when he pulled us back and, and, and not to move, move ourselves forward because he said that's what they're for. And they're, they're there to not be expendable, but to save lives. And the coolest thing about dogs, which I wish more humans were like this, 
is that they're loyal. They're loyal to their pack. They're loyal to their family. And that kind of loyalty, they'll pay for in blood, just like members of special operations. So, you know, I was there when Vinny was killed, when Spido, another special operation dog was killed. I was there. And it's just this, it's, it's these dogs that are freaking heroes that save lives. I've seen it happen. I've heard about it happen. And it, it only stresses the importance of the application that they play in lives. Oh, yeah. You know, they throughout history, the Roman Empire, mm. I mean, dogs have always played a role always next been to man. Incorporated in uh, armies. Always incorporated in armies, whether it was killing, going after bad guys, or tracking. Uh, all kinds tracking. Of yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's, you know, dogs are important. And uh, we're going to talk about some different kinds of dogs and then the role they play in the military and then that they can play in survival. But we'll do that like, one dog at a time. All right, so the first dogs that we were going to talk about are the assault dogs, right? We, we, we're used to assault dogs, mm -hmm. which are typically, what, what breeds are assault dogs? So typically, uh, at least my exposure in the past has always been Belgian Malinois, which, you know, that's, I think, primarily what, uh, what you see a lot of law enforcement today and military using uh, are Belgian Mals for short. Yeah, and... And mouths are they're uh, lean, powerful, jawed animals that I think were, were originally intended for herding, but obviously they don't do that no more. Yeah, because <laughs> they rip they rip apart the herd. Yeah, <laughs> yes, we use assault dogs in that capacity, and most of them are. In fact, I don't even think since the since we started doing a lot of assaults and stuff in in mid two thousands that that they use German shepherds anymore yeah because i know the, the, i've only seen i think i've seen like german shepherds more in law enforcement LA, yeah and stuff like that too. yeah mouths are, are are beasts man i know uh i was co-located with a, a a malinois named rex and rex could take down you know we used the rangers in in uh, bite suits but they were ripping the rangers apart rex was <laughs> and you know, these dogs are meant in an assault to be able to, on command, go after somebody. Mm -hmm. And that could be a what we call a squirter or somebody who's exfiltrating off the objective. And when they're departing the objective, you know, if they're wearing a suicide vest and you can't get to them immediately, you call on the dog. The dog gets to them, chases them down and hits them. Also in the reeds and heavy vegetation, oh, yeah. they could sniff out a human being yep. on, on the offensive. What other applications have you seen uh, dogs being used? So another application with uh, with mouths or with assault dogs is uh, Mike hit on a little bit is you know clearing an objective whether it's a call out um, or the dogs are going with you on the assault as you're actually hitting the compound. Um, you know they play an inter integral role in being able to search out rooms, find bad guys. Same principle as, you know, finding somebody in heavy vegetation. Bad guys can hide inside of structures um, if the assault force is outside and um, they obviously want to find the bad guys. Um, you know, dogs are a good resource to have to send inside the target structure because like Mike talked about before, you know, we've got cameras and stuff like that that can help out with the search. Yeah, and the, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, all these uh, shithole places, they have literally, literally shitholes dug inside the foundation, right? Because they have like these spidey holes and all this, especially what was it, uh, Najaf? Mm -hmm. That's an old, old town where they, oh, yeah. you know, they have this underground tunnels. So, you know, when a dog's called in on the assault, 
I mean, it only makes sense. If I'm going against a suicide bomber, a guy who's willing to clack himself off and blow himself up, why am I just going to get in a rush to bound inside and clear a room with a guy who's in there with a suicide vest on him? My bullets probably aren't going to beat his, his uh, hand to his detonator. And so when I go inside that structure, you might put a dog in first. I mean, a, guy, a bad guy, especially a bad terrorist from the Middle East, sees a dog. They hate dogs. Most of them do. They see that dog, they're going to freak out. And yeah, the dog pays the ultimate sacrifice, but you know that's, that's part of the role they play. So outside of assault, assaulting, there's, you know, even when we're going to the objective, these dogs have their multi-purpose canines, their NPCs. And so some of the things they do is they, like, like you uh, I mentioned me and you talked before, about sniffing out dog or sniffing out dogs. Yeah. <laughs> they do that. They too. do that. They do do that. Lots of ass. Um, sniffing out uh, IEDs and explosive devices. So, you know, we'll talk about the next dog, which is uh, IED search dogs. Yeah. So my specific experience with, uh, with these particular canines, uh, the breed was a lab and um, we had a regular army dog handler that was actually attached to us with a lab. He was a search dog specifically. Um, didn't do a lot of the assault stuff, but actually helped us roll several caches um, in Afghanistan where we found, you know, buku bad guy stuff. So obviously a huge benefit uh, at that time. Um, and then also, you know, to have the ability to not only find caches, but these dogs are trained to smell uh, explosives, right? So whatever the bad guys are using to make IEDs. Um, these dogs, you know, can pick up the scent of that. And so, you know, if you're in restricted terrain or something like that, or, you know, what we call a choke point in the military, trying to get across a road or a creek or something like that, where, you know, sometimes you see bad guys putting stuff, um, you know, the dogs were great for finding that kind of stuff. When we're talking about IED dogs and bomb sniffing dogs, uh, they, you said that they, they're, you know, they could smell ammunition too. Oh, yeah. And RPGs and all kinds of, even... Even more so, like, you know, our assault dogs are trained to uh, go after and smell what Middle Eastern that smell smells like. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that without being rude. But basically, you know, you take a pair of man jams and they get used to that Tell smell. Tell everybody what man jams are. So man jams are basically uh, man pajamas. <laughs> we call them man jams. Yeah. But everybody in that region of the world rolls that way because it's hot is balls like the hottest you'll ever feel yeah and it's like a hundred percent humidity off the tigers and euphrates and so so when the sun's blazing on you you cut your skin's cover so they're pajamas like long sleeves long pants all right and then <laughs> yeah and then you take that the just in case stolen. anybody that was listening that doesn't know our mill slang or our military slang now you know what man jams are yeah they're comfortable I, they should be <laughs> dude if i could get away with wearing pajamas every day that would be awesome. Yeah. We should bring that back. <laughs> Dude, we should start doing videos. Just me and you sitting in man jams. And people are like, what the fuck are they wearing? Oh, those are Philcraft man jams. <laughs> yeah. They're good for survival. That could be another one, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> so the next dog we're going to talk about is tracking dogs. You know, tracking, tracking really ties more into, you know, there's man trackable dogs, which obviously are going off the scent of whatever the human being is in the the breakdown of the molecules these dogs can smell is insanity. Yeah. I mean, it, there's their noses are so sensitive, it's uh kind of like Kurt's ego. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Damn, I just thought Damn. of that on the fly. <laughs> like, uh, 
Um, I saw he was looking up into the air right now. Like, yeah, no. I got a good one. Here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> a tic-tac fell out of my ear. Um, so we, we used tracking dogs for, you know, tracking human beings, but also we used them for tracking game. We used them for tracking vehicles or, you know, like the coolest thing about those, uh, those dogs is you can give them something to smell. It could be gasoline and then, or a tire. And these dogs, based on that recognition That's, of that, yeah. they're conditioned to go after and smell whatever it is. Yeah, they're looking for that. Yeah. And, you know, these same dogs are the same dogs that can flush out animals. And, you know, this ties into survival. Like, the number one, the, you know, going into survival off of these dogs, because these are, these are the most uh, probably utilized in search and rescue, but also in survival type scenarios. You know, St. Bernard's, all these big dogs are utilized in that capacity because you know they're, they're trained in that acclimate acclimated weather yeah uh whether it's you know snow or the heat uh-huh. um to to support the rescue yeah and so in survival situations you know you, you want to look at number one the dog's going to be great for mindset you know if you're evading if you're moving overland hell if you're camping with your family having a dog it's a deterrent, man. If you think Security, about wildlife, right? Yeah, all, yeah, absolutely. All those different types of applications. Morale, right? When you have a dog, you have a companion. Your mindset's changed. I mean, when I got a dog, when I got Pearl, it it, it did allow this more independent thought process. That hey, I got a battle buddy or a ranger buddy that I always had in the military, and now I have a partner. Yeah. And so it, it kind of took off, took away some of that anxiety, but it led to a more positive mindset, which you obviously need in survival uh, period. And so when we're looking at bomb sniffing dogs and these tracking type dogs, both are good for that because you know, you're out and about and you got a dog with a good nose, they're going to sense danger. They're going to smell that bear. They're going to smell the game that you need to hunt. Um, if they're bird dogs, they're going to be able to retrieve, you know, there's, I wouldn't say there's a, a bad dog for companionship and survival. Um, but you'd probably want to stay away from like small breed dogs. Yeah. You don't want to be taking a wiener dog in the wood line <laughs> or he'll be like on a 20 K foot march. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He'll be hot child that you'll, night. You'll be holding him the whole way. <laughs> yeah. Or eating him that night. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, when I look at th- those kind of dogs, I think of uh, really good dogs that are bred for that application, which we talked about before is labs mm-hmm. labs, you know, are great companions, dog. but they have a good demeanor around human beings. I mean, whether that's just they, they because they've worked with human beings and they've been bred for that, yep. the companionship is is obvious. When you get like a, that compared to a Shiba Inu, who is a Japanese uh, Akita, basically, they hate people. Yeah, I mean, they, they're like cats. They just get annoyed. <laughs> they're moody. They don't. They want to be independent. So you probably don't want to be with an Akita <laughs> or a Shiba Inu in the middle of the woods. Um, you want something that's more, more bred for companionship. We're going to get messaged now. Somebody's going to have one and be like, my dog's the best in the world. Well, if you do, send us videos of your Shiba Inu being a good <laughs> companion. But super smart dogs. And and so there's a there's also dogs that you want to look at for their intelligence. When you're looking at those dogs for their intelligence, I mean, if you YouTube smartest dog in the world, I think it's an Australian Shepherd. And they, he ha- she has a vocabulary of specific words and a room full of toys and there's like 200 uh, toys in there and the owner could say the toy, she'll search out that toy, which means she has a vocabulary that she's storing in her head. She's reference. than most humans. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I honestly couldn't. I'd be like, what? So yeah, they're absolutely smart and for companionship, but also like we said, the physical 
applications of uh, survival. So the, one te- of the technical one of, skills. Yeah, I was going to uh, say real quick, one of the interesting things to me has uh, been, you know, the use of, uh, I mean, we look at service dog vests, right? Well, there's people that make vests, obviously, where your dog can actually, what we call in the military, you know, hump, which is moving with something on your back. Oh, you, what? Yeah. yeah, sorry. That was maybe poor judgment of wording, but, but we, but it looks like little saddle bags that they make for dogs. And, and obviously if the dog is strong enough and capable enough, uh, the dog can, you know, help pack in equipment, food, water, um, you know, on a small scale, but it's still another application that the animal could be used for. Yeah, that's a good idea. And even like the medical thing. Yeah. I, I never understood, you know, people go out with these dogs and they have vests and they have like these cool REI pack, package things. But yeah, put a, put a tourniquet, put a rat tourniquet or a cat tourniquet sure. inside one of the vests and just have it with you. A first aid kit. I mean, there's just so many different app. A field craft survival kit. Yeah. I mean, damn. You yeah, know, it's small just enough a, to be able to a dog to carry. Exactly. Yeah. Also, you know, the technical skills that we talked about, I mentioned a little bit before, but when you're looking at, for example, small game, you kill a bird over water. If you don't have a retrieving dog, yeah. well, guess what? You're not probably not going to eat. You're going to be the retriever. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to retrieve your own stuff. The dog's going to be like, yeah, go retrieve your own shit. I'll do that. Um, I think it's it's hugely important, especially when you look at the environment that you live in. Absolutely. If you're surrounded by ponds and water and everything else, you might want to look at, hey, you might have a 22 caliber Ruger 1022 breakdown gun inside your go bag. But having that dog to be able to retrieve the game that you shoot is, is really important. Yeah, it's a great point to if you're serious about it and doing a little bit of background research on breeds. Uh, based off where you're at geographically, especially if you're using that dog in a sense to be a working dog, right? Whether it's hunting or whatever application it ends up being, like you probably want to do some research on the right breed for the area. Yeah. I think it's smart too, you know, you know, migrating into training. When you have a dog, there's a whole bunch of training venues you can do. Basic obedience is like the basic training of a dog, right? It's the foundation for conditioning a dog. The process that these schools use is if you're training a dog, you want to train the human being at the same time so they could work together. And then, you know, whether it's implementing good teaching habits or reinforcing the fact that you're going to be doing it afterwards, that's hugely important. You can't send a dog to school, get him back and expect everything to be cool. You have to know the techniques applied and you have to exercise it constantly. Training your dog, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch, and I apologize, I don't know the names of them. There's a whole bunch of places. In fact, I just got hit up the other day about a place that that wouldn't that's in Colorado that wants to train our, our dogs, help train our dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, you know, basic obedience, which is usually a couple of weeks, maybe up to a couple of months. And then you have training specific to whatever you're specializing in. Yeah. And I think it's always smart, you know, to specialize in, in obviously obedience, but looking at a skill set. You know, some of these $50,000 Malinois that people are training for defense, they have a breakdown of what they can perform on command and what they could do. You don't, you know, if you want your dog to be a retriever, you're going to send them to retrieval school and you're going to go through the process, understand what you have to do, and then reinforce that again and again. And that's cool. I mean, it's like owning a forerunner. Oh, yeah. You know, or a TRD (laughs) Tacoma. When you get it, you know, it's a part of your survival game. And you want to always keep those skill sets up and all those different, uh, you know, whether it's mobility or a dog. Yeah. And I think it's pretty, pretty cool to have that. I know our dogs in soft, 
in special operations could do everything. Absolutely. Free fall, tandem out of fast uh, rope, fa- you know, fast rope, bring them in helicopters. You could bring them on airplanes, but also our dogs, you could, you could shoot around. Yeah. And, and without them getting freaked out. Pearl hears uh, somebody claps when Pearl is around <laughs> and she's like hiding in the forerunner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, both of us, we keep our dogs in the car when we're, when we're shooting, but they've been around that a bunch. So they're a little bit acclimated to it, but I, I still think they just don't enjoy it that much. So, yeah. I, you know, you have to train them from, you know, infant status to be able to do that kind deal of stuff. Deal with that stuff. To deal yeah. with that stuff. And, you know, our handlers go to school for three, four, five, six months to learn all this stuff. Yep. So if you're, you know, obviously if you're training your dog, just pay attention to what you're doing when you train them. Equipment wise for dogs, what do you recommend at a minimum for dogs? Like a guy and gal, maybe have a, a, a pet they want to turn into a survival companion, mm-hmm. get outdoors more. What do you, what do you recommend? Kind of hit on a little bit uh, earlier, but having, being able to have the dog uh, have a capability to carry something for you. So, so you're saying like the, the capability of what the dog's trained for dictates obviously the equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if we're, if we're looking at, you know, basic necessities, it starts with a vest. And, Absolutely. You know, we use what RDR's vest. Yeah, we do. Um, what does RDR stand for? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a bad customer right now. I don't know what RDR stands for. I know they're based out of Utah, right? Yeah, based out of Utah. And awesome. Uh, Mike, Mike and I both have service dog vests. My dog is actually in training right now, but um, we got them from RDR and they're a super great company to work with. And I think their vests also fit the dogs well. Yeah. And don't rub in any weird What's not this big, and, complete, yeah, like, vest? Well, we don't need those, right? We don't we're not them. working. Our dogs aren't what you would consider working dogs that are working for military or law enforcement. So, But I think the first thing is like a load-bearing capability, right? Like the base platform is some type of a vest. And if it has molly attachments or something to that effect where you can put pouches on and stuff like that, obviously something modular, um, I think that that would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the RDR modular vest that we have is really cool because you can put, like you said, the Molly general purpose pouches yep. and they put whatever you need. I'd say second, in one of those general purpose pouches, you need at a minimum a med kit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we use Devil Dog Consultant bleeder packs. We also use our own little med kits that are more for, you know, bumps and bruises, scratches and stuff. Um, but have something out there that can stop bleeding yeah. at a minimum. So we're talking gauze, combat gauze specifically. We're talking a cat tourniquet or a rat tourniquet mm-hmm. and have the ability to stop and apply pressure uh, to stop bleeding. Yeah, I think, well, you know, like we've talked about it before with what we carry on our individual person, you know, you may, you may still carry some of those things on you. But I think the interesting part of this is working the dog into the mix. So that way you have an extra capability with you. So, you know, if in, in the army, we used to call it a pace plan, right? We had a primary alternate contingency and emergency plan and um, kind of been staying in line with that. Maybe the primary is you have your tourniquet or something on you. Well, maybe the dog has an alternate, right? So he's got a rat's tourniquet and a pouch or, you know, uh, or a cat or whatever you want. Right. And that, uh, is a backup and the dog just plays a role that way as well. But it's, it's an additional resource, uh, that, that comes with you. Yeah. That's, it's a, was a force multiplier, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, the same way we use them in the mill. Now we're just taking that application and working it into our civilian life. Yep. Absolutely. I think so outside of med, you might want to have a survival kit. 
You yeah. know, we we have the Green Beret Minimalist uh, Survival Kit, but that kit, you know, it's it was based off a three by five card, which you know is three inches by five inches, and it's thick, but it's it's the perfect size for putting on a, a dog GP, carrier, yeah, like a GP, a general pouch. purpose pouch, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's it's cool because you know you have all the staples of survival, you know, water procurement, um, making a fire, shelter, etc. But when you have that capability, you don't have to think about it. Yeah, the exactly. vest, the vest, which is part of the dog's uniform, goes on him every time he goes outside. And you got everything. And you got everything you need. Yeah. You got a med kit and you got a survival kit. And that's that's what you need, especially if you're one of those outdoorsy people, you know, who goes out and, you know, you're in these rural hikes where if you trip, hurt yourself, you have to have something to depend on it. There's actually survival stories of people, you know, having their dog and the dog going to retrieve people. There's actually one in Utah near uh, Moab, where the person was rescued by their dog going, finding help, and then bringing them back to where they're located. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, and that dog, it's an, it's an instinct, right? It's natural instinct for most dogs. I mean, there's some dumpy dogs out there, but most <laughs> Are we dogs- talking about humans or- oh. Yeah, mostly humans. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's always that venue. Um, talking about service dogs, service dogs, you know, service dogs, there's, uh, we just talked about it a little bit, but physical disability dogs that provide up to three or three uh, minimum services to that disabled person. And, you know, it, it's obviously, it's not for um, just veterans, which is becoming this stereotype. It's been, you know, whether it's, you know, a girl who potentially has seizures, a guy who blind, mm -hmm. these dogs do all kinds of stuff. One of the big things is bracing, you know, bracing for leg injuries or, you know, back injuries where they can provide this support when you're getting out of bed, when you're sitting down on something, when you're, uh, you know, just whatever you're doing, they, they could actually anchor for you. They could lead out anchor and then help pull yourself up, which is hugely important, especially for people who are, you know, have compromised physical disabilities. Exactly. So yeah, service dogs, a, lo a lot of a frequent question we get asked is how do you get a service dog? One, legal wise, you could actually train your own service dog. Mm -hmm. Maybe a lot of places don't want me to put that out there, but you, you could train your own service dog as long as you're, you ha actually have an actual disability. Yeah, the guidelines, which are, are pretty vague. I mean, the dog obviously just can't be a wild dog. Mm -hmm. It has to be well behaved, for lack of better terms, and it needs to be able to, like Pearl, I could put her under a table because she's trained to do yeah, it. We've flown with Pearl. We, we can fly. All, yeah. All kinds of stuff. She's good everywhere. So the dog obviously has to be that, but absolutely you can train your own service dog. And what's crazy is a lot of, not a lot of people know, but there's no service database for dogs, for service dogs. So you don't know if uh, a dog's certified or not, you have to take the person's word for it. Mm -hmm. And you're only allowed to ask, and I don't know the details of this, you gotta look this up yourself, but you're only allowed to ask the disabled person a couple questions mm -hmm. and they're pretty vague. So you can't just go in there and ask specifics about the person's dog. Just like I make the analogy about the wheelchair. You don't walk up to a person in a wheelchair and be like, why are you in a wheelchair? Yeah. Like, uh, none of your business, bro. So yeah, you know, if you're if you're thinking about a service dog and you want to get into one, just do a lot of research, man, because it just it takes a lot of education. And who did you work with when you initially got Well, initially I did, you know, Labs for Liberty is is the uh, nonprofit I work with there in Utah. Great people, great organization. And you know they they trained Pearl, my service dog, which is which is a Malinois puppy when it got to to them, and I had to go through training with them as well before I could take Pearl with me. 
and that's just an assurance thing. You know, they're, they're putting out good quality for nonprofit, good quality dogs for disabled people. Veterans, right? Veterans specific for, right. for lives for liberty. So you got a service dog as well, right? So I, I just got my dog actually. So I've had her name Storm. She's also a Belgian mouse. She happens to be Pearl's sister, which some of you will find funny, but that kind of a little bit on the background of how I got her. Um, another family had her and unfortunately they didn't want her. And um, the breeder that Mike and I dealt with, uh, who's a great guy out in Connecticut, uh, reached out and wanted to make sure that she went to a good owner. Um, an opportunity was presented through Labs for Liberty, which is really cool. And um, I was able to get her. So I've had her um, for probably close to a month now. And, um, you know, we're working through a bunch of different things. A lot of socialization has to go on uh, with the dog. She wasn't socialized very much before. So getting her comfortable um, out and about in town. Um, so, you know, she wears a vest and it says service dog in training. Do not pet. Do not pet. Or I'll rip off your hand. <laughs> um, she's actually friendly, but uh, she has a little bit of, she had some protection stuff done as far as uh, her training. So um, she keys off of people's movement. So Mike and I laugh all the time because she looks like a friggin' velociraptor when she's watching people. Um, but she's really a sweet dog and she's been a, uh, a pretty neat addition to my family. So we're happy to have her. Yeah, it's it's cool because, you know, where we live in rural Colorado, they're like Pearl is able to see and spot and hear and do all these things to protect the place. So they're yep. good, uh, you know, like you said, uh, counter, you know, threat stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, good for force protection. Yep. You know, force protection is a big portion of survival too. You know, we mentioned it before, but just harp on it one more time, like security yeah. is a big your campsite. It, yeah. Your Early campsite, hell, your house for modern survival, yeah. you know, you're sleeping in your house, having a dog, it, it, the dog doesn't have to be, you know, really trained. I mean, because it's in their instinct, yeah. you know, they're protecting the pack, their pack. And yeah. so when you become the pack, they, they trigger on certain things, right. which I think is, is pretty cool when you look at justifications for having that kind of dog period absolutely lap dogs are one kind of dog but security survival dogs are completely different yeah that'd be cool to do survival to, to make phil craft survival dogs <laughs> yeah. that'd be awesome what might pearl train all <laughs> yeah so that's you know we're at about 40 minutes man and we appreciate you guys's uh, feedback for giving us this content or giving us this topic for this content for this podcast if you guys got any more feedback, please feel free to email us at info at philcraftsurvival.com. You guys can check us out on our social media pages, IG, Instagram typically is what we use, not yeah. Facebook, but we use uh, uh, Soft Survivors, my handle. It's also the company's handle is Field Craft Survival, and then Kurt yours is... Kurt underscore Team Craft. Yep. And we do have a Facebook page too. We, we typically upload from Instagram, but there's uh, unique content on there as well. And of course, the podcast. If you guys would please leave feedback, subscribe to this podcast, and we appreciate all you guys' support. Oh, yeah. Thanks, everybody. And uh, again, to highlight this episode, canines and how they can be integrated into uh, everyday life, Mike and I's experiences with the dogs and uh, everything they're good at doing. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. And until next time, we'll see you guys. Stay alert, stay alive. <laughs>